Hi everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always. Thank you very much for joining me this week after the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Are you singing Viva Las Vegas like Max Verstappen did after he crossed the line and won the race? Oh, well, there you go. I've sport the sport the result, haven't I? Well, you all knew that anyway. Um, I hope everyone's well wherever you are in the world. Uh, kicking along, chugging, whatever it looks like at the moment. I don't know, I've already uh, lost track here and gone off on a whole nother ramble. But yes, Las Vegas, it's finally done and over with the first one that is you know it's on the calendar for the next 10 years I believe and what did everyone think you know I've heard lots over the weekend certainly there's those with the pitchforks that were already sharpened I guess I also had a pitchfork that was sharpened that kind of really is going after the likes of Stefano Domenicali and the Las Vegas Grand Prix organizers but overall it was a good race wasn't it it was a good race, and I think that was the main thing, really, is that we need to judge the event on the racing it would uh, produce, rather than all the the hyperbole and other bits and pieces that are associated with it, because you're going to get that. It's F1, it's glamorous, there's, you know, you look at the Monaco Grand Prix as well, that has been around since the dawn of the championship, um, so this is, you know, no different. Maybe this is Monaco of the 21st century. I know Singapore was meant to be that, although Singapore was the Monaco at night, so I don't know, maybe Monaco of the 21st century. Anyway, without getting too carried away down that sort of uh, that sort of path and going on a rant about it just yet, I'll share my thoughts on Vegas itself a bit later in the show. Let's talk about the Grand Prix first. Um, of course, heading to the Supercars Championship Finale as well in Adelaide this coming weekend, so I'll go over that and the the Championship Decider, because there is a title fight on in Supercars, so we'll get to that a bit later, but yes, Max wins in Vegas, he equaled Sebastian Vettel's tally of 53 wins um, overall in his career, he's one win now off, you know, moving into third all time on his own behind the likes of Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher. And, you know, <laughs> there's no hyperbole in, in all the adjectives you can use to describe Max and the season he's had this year and, you know, last year as well. You look at Red Bull overall, they've won 20 races now this season, which beats the record set by Mercedes of 19 back in 2016. And that was such a humdinger of a year as well, going back that far. But you know, Max overcoming a five-second penalty, which, you know, we'll discuss as well what is the meaning of a five-second penalty anyway these days, uh, to win what was a sensational race overall. Charles Leclerc was on pole. He was forced wide by Max at turn one. He didn't hand the place back as perhaps he should have or the stewards should have gotten onto him, the race director or whatever, saying that you should hand the place back because arguably there's more punishment in doing that than they're serving a five-second penalty these days because, you know, five seconds with these cars, especially Red Bull, but we're not going to judge it team by team. Overall, five seconds can be made up just like that, you know, with a click of a finger if you didn't hear that in the background. So um, I think that's something that needs to be reviewed. We've talked about it 
um, ad nauseum, I feel. There was a bit of commentary about it on the Grid Talk uh, post-race show as well, which I was on, um, and I feel like it is such a nothing penalty these days. So it didn't really hamper Max's race in the end. I feel what lost it for Leclerc ultimately was... Uh, not taking that second pit stop when the second safety car came out on lap 26, which ironically was caused by uh, Verstappen losing some front wing end plate um, uh, into debris. But yeah, you know, it was it was a great race there, and Leclerc ultimately taking P2 um, back on the final lap from Checo Perez with a with a stellar move down the inside at turn 14 and. Um, yeah, hard to get past the the sullenness on Leclerc's face after after the fact because they were in the the cool down car I'm going to call it or the cool down lap they were having in this Rolls Royce on their way to the Bellagio Fountain to be um, interviewed by David Coulthard as part of the world feed that we get. And it was so ridiculous that they get they can't get carted off to the fountain to do the interviews and then carted back for the podiums, which is on the pit straight. I mean, why not just do the the podium in the same spot or you know go to the sphere or something like that i don't know it's always ridiculous it's a similar sort of thing happens in miami as well and i don't understand but hey it's america at the end of the day nothing's meant to make sense so and that's not a slight on any of my american friends or or listeners out there you all know how um screwed up your country is so you know let's not um beat around the bush with that one um yeah, so Leclerc, look of sullenness and, and disappointed the fact that, you know, Ferrari didn't make that second pit stop to uh, mirror effectively what both the Red Bulls did and um, Checo Perez coming from outside the top 10 again. He failed to make Q3, but he still finished on the podium, which gave him the points he needed to secure second in the construct or second in the Drivers' Championship, I should, I should say. Um, and, you know, it adds to what has already been a historic season for Red Bull, and they've never finished one and two in the Drivers' Championship before, so that result really went out of the way, or didn't go out of the way, I don't know, it helped them secure that ultimately, and it wasn't a great race for Lewis Hamilton, which we'll get to as well later, but yeah, for Ferrari, you know, what a disappointing, I guess, conclusion in that he was on pole, it was another pole that Max Verstappen won a race from, um, he's going to probably go this year without a win now as Leclerc, his teammate in, um, Sainz, Carlos Sainz did win back in Singapore, of course, so it, it has been effectively a bit of a write-off of a season for Leclerc, which is really disappointing given that he was the, uh, main title uh, aspirant last year and you know you'd think he's the number one there at Ferrari but you know I'd like to argue otherwise based off the performances we've seen this year so yeah you know there was there was that there was the chaos in the midfield as well on the first lap so we had Alonso spinning at turn one and he ended up finding Valtteri Bottas of course and you know Bottas making headlines of his own this weekend because he's uh come out with the Bottas calendar you know ass <laughs> um quite literally taking the the pictures from the um where were they in Colorado or something last year and photographer Paul Ripke um who used to be photographer down at Mercedes 
um, back in the Nico Rosberg days, ended up doing a whole calendar of Bottas nudes and, of course, donating the proceeds to the Movember Foundation. And I think that's quite, you know, it's quite lovely, admirable, but also hilarious as well. And oh, I don't know if I could have a... Um, a Bottas calendar in, in our household, unfortunately, especially when there's children around, you know, that's, that's not going to be appropriate, but anyway, <laughs> I know a few people, I know a few people who might love it, I don't know, I'll, I'll ask them separately, all the, the Bottas fans out there, or the Valtteri Bottas, that is not Valtteri, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting carried away now, I don't know why I think that's funny, I'm very childish, aren't I, anyway, moving on, um, so Bottas also found Alonso damaged his front wing. So did Checo damaged his front wing. Um, and yeah, basically the lack of grip on this green surface where there was, you know, no running before the F1 this weekend on it. It was a newly laid out um, tarmac uh, and also no support categories either. So of course there's not going to be any rubber laid down for it. And also the cold track temperatures saw the driver struggle. So I've been, mean, in a way, I kind of enjoy this, you know, because they're still having to drive at a maximum, but there's not that element of tyre conservation that we see at every other race, which is so boring now, and you see it in supercars too, so, you know, I'll be glad the day that we don't have to see tyre management races again, because... You know, we've got enough cars and enough teams that are, you know, close close together in terms of, you know, pace. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're all going to be fighting for the win. But, you know, as long as we've got those individual battles happening like we saw in Vegas, you know, we had a lead battle. We had the midfield battle basically for the points from like fourth downwards, um, you know, and then do we really care about who's bringing up the rear of the field? Not quite, but we had battles everywhere, which was exciting. And also having signs who started from down the field with a 10-place grid penalty after taking on an energy store. And I'll talk about that whole incident separately when I go talk about the, the thoughts on the event as a whole. But yeah, he had to take a 10-place grid penalty because of a new energy store that they put in the back of that Ferrari. His race got off to a very lovely start by finding Hamilton at turn one and, you know, both drivers ending up having to put in a bit of a recovery effort to finishing the points ultimately, which was, you know, good for them. But, you know, for Ferrari, I guess Leclerc on the podium and six for Sainz was important because they've closed that gap in the Constructors' Championship to Mercedes. I think it's like six points or something like that. I will double check for you no, it's four points now between Mercedes and Ferrari in second and third. So, you know, I don't know if it means a whole lot in terms of prize money for those guys. Um, if anything, you'd probably want to finish lower so you get that extra ATR and wind tunnel time. But, you know, I guess it is something, you know, to take from a difficult season for both. I mean, realistically, and this is what was uh, mentioned on, I think, the Grid Talk show, is that Ferrari, they've had a car that, on paper, is quicker and, you know, faster than the Mercedes. Quicker and faster. That's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, on paper, the Ferrari should be ahead of the Mercedes, but operationally, Ferrari just make mistakes wherever they can, and reliability-wise, they've been awful. And, yes, one side of the Mercedes garage has been awful reliability-wise as well. I'm talking about George Russell. Um, Hamilton, the effort that he's put in this season to have even been in a 
sniff for P2 in the championship um, is just phenomenal. So, you know, he's lost that to Perez, but the fact that, yeah, Mercedes are not as quick as a Ferrari by any stretch of an imagination. They're only good enough for the pole back in Hungary, I think it was, and that came as a courtesy of Hamilton, whereas Ferrari have had numerous poles this season but haven't really eventuated into anything. Yeah, they've just it just shows that they're still a very, very clever and well-put-together race team like we saw throughout that eight years of dominance that they had. It's just they went down this path this unfortunate path of the zero pods concept and this is really just you know put them on the back foot for the next few years or hopefully um next year we'll see some progress from them because they all have a whole new car concept that they you know after ditching the zero pods um anyway so yeah that was a a shame for Sainz and Hamilton to find each other at turn one, but they did recover to finish in the points. Um, sixth and seventh for those in that order. Um, we had a safety car out on lap three, not for the chaos at turn one, but for the one and only big crash that we had in the race, which was Lando Norris um, clunking out at turn 12. And he just lost the rear end of his car and, you know, has to be because of the low grip and into the wall and thankfully he was okay he was taken to the local hospital for precautionary checks but um came back all clear but yeah it was not a weekend to remember for mclaren and even though piastri did recover from down the order and he came together with the hamilton and there was there was contact and i think puncture or new front wing was required he came back and finished 10th and got the point for fast slap too so not a bad outcome but you know could have been better too especially with you know the lack of pace that they had all weekend and it's one of those tracks where mclaren had said that on low downforce or yeah low downforce tracks they're going to struggle with the big straights and everything so they need high speed corners which i feel like abu dhabi has a bit more of anyway um even if there is you know that tricky final sector with those 90 degree corners and i gotta say i love the new compared to the old layout for abu dhabi which you know was a bit questionable but i still liked it because it's it's the only race i've been to overseas and i just got a facebook memory today saying actually it's been it was nine years ago that it um had arrived for the race back in 2014 and of course that also being a title decider with the controversial <laughs> double points on hand too so yes got to remember abu double Ugh, sounds horrible. I want to vomit in my mouth. Not as bad as when I almost choked on a skittle I was having pre-race when Jared Leto came on the TV um, introducing the race and basically doing the Viva Las Vegas in monologue form, the Elvis song. I, I, I you know, just find Jared Leto a bit repulsive. I don't think everyone will agree, but hey, me and my co-worker, we, we have this thing where we like, yep, Leto is absolutely repulsive. Anyway, <laughs> Jared Leto aside, um, now I can't even remember what I was talking about. Uh, yeah, Lando crashed, he was okay. We then had Norris, sorry, Lando is Norris, isn't he? Yeah, we had lap eight, the penalty for Max handed down, um, but regardless of it, Leclerc was good enough at keeping his tyres, uh, or reserving enough in his tyres to be able to come back and pass 
Max on lap 16, although Max was coming to pit um, the following lap for the hard tyre, he served the penalty um, while Leclerc extended to lap 22 and pitted, but then on lap 26 we had a safety car out for the debris caused by Max and George touching at turn 12, and Russell, I guess just caught napping or wasn't looking in his mirrors and pretty much turned in on on Max and Max did come from a fair way back but the stewards saw it as predominantly Russell's fault and hence gave him the five second penalty um not that it hurt Max's race either because even with the the damaged front wing he was still able to go on and win so you know what is the worth of those end plates anyway we see everyone whenever they get hit and end up having to to run with the broken end plate they just they, they're like, oh, it's not really costing us much, so it's fine. Um, so, yeah, that was the case for Max, too. So he came back okay from that. Russell got the five-second penalty, and that pretty much compounded another miserable weekend for Mercedes, where they just did not seem on any sort of spectrum of... of positive positivity. Um, Hamilton ended up starting uh 10th he was promoted even though he was knocked out in q2 because of the signs penalty russell was up there in third but you know went backwards in the race and then of course having that five second penalty meant that he finished down in eighth so yeah there will be great intrigue and interest as to whether they do hold on to that p2 in the constructors championship at the end of the abu dhabi grand prix uh this coming weekend so because i know they're quite eager to just chuck the w14 into the the skip as they did with the w13 as well i mean you know who'd have thought that um this year's car would have been worse than last year's but hey you know i think that false dawn that they had from winning in brazil last year kind of gaslit them into thinking that what they were doing was right so unfortunately no it wasn't um great battles though overall in this race and you know i was just trying to put the finish finishing touches on an article i'm writing and i'll share the links i'm sure on my socials um of the vegas spectacle overall and the event and you know i think the big tick for the the event this weekend was that we had a great race on Sunday we had battles all the way through and you know Hamilton and Piastri coming together and and fighting as it was except for the contact we had both Alpine scrapping away and unfortunately Gasly didn't make it into the points but Ocon with a brilliant fourth place you know Lance Stroll as well like I've got to give credit where credit's due for those who think that I on bash on Stroll all the time he he put in a phenomenal race given the fact that he had a a grid penalty for overtaking under yellow flags during qualifying and was dropped back to 19th he ended up fifth um and i think the second race in a row that he's he's finished in the top six so well done to stroll stayed out of trouble at the start you know made all the correct strategic decisions as well with pit stops and you know double points for aston martin despite alonso's lap one shenanigans and then finishing ninth overall but um you know overall great racing is is what we saw even even checo and him kind of throwing away second by napping not on not once but two occasions um kind of created for some 
really nice or watchable moments. And Leclerc on lap 43, he outbraked himself coming onto the, the Vegas strip, but then ended up, um, you know, taking, or he lost the position there to Checo, but then ended up taking second back on the penultimate lap or on the final lap. So, you know, great little, great little thing overall, great little race overall. We had some retirements, obviously, with Norris, but Nico Hulkenberg and Yuki Tsunoda with uh, technical or mechanical failures. Alfa Romeo was was anonymous except for when Bottas came together with Alonso. I didn't even realise, I actually didn't realise that they were running new liveries on that car as well this weekend. And then, of course, the... Other Alpha Tauri and, and Haas were out of the points. Disappointment, though, for Williams, because they had a very, very good qualifying, both cars in the top six, you know, and I think that was the, you know, second only time that Logan Sargent had made it into Q3 in his career or this year so far, and Albon with a top five performance as well. You would have thought that given the low downforce nature of the track that they would have done a bit better than they did, but you know, it's not like AlphaTauri scored any points this weekend, so, you know, that gap still stays at seven points heading into that Abu Dhabi final, so yeah, and, the, and those extra millions that, you know, come with those positions in the Constructors' Championship will mean a lot more to someone like a um, Williams or AlphaTauri than they would to Mercedes and Ferrari fighting for second and third. So, yeah, that was the race. Um, that was my thoughts on the race, and and it was it was some good ones, <laughs> positive. I mean, I'm not also going to complain at the the timing of the race for audiences here in Australia and New Zealand, and for Australia in particular, having a race on at 5 p.m. Sunday night, even though the race in Vegas at that time was was Saturday evening, for us, perfect, you know, primetime viewing, you know, if only we could have more races like that, but hey, you know, wishful thinking, (laughs) I know that my European friends, and particularly in the UK, um, would have not been too happy at it, but hey, you know, you've got to make compromises sometimes, and I do it 20 other times a year, so I'm sure you can do it a couple of times too, so yeah, now to go to my thoughts overall and this is where unfortunately some of the negativity comes into it because you know while the race itself exceeded my expectations and you know I had low expectations thanks to the train wreck that is Miami overall and you know this is where like got to give a pat on the back to Vegas and you know congratulate them for for making a racetrack that's actually raceable uh, raceable the Thursday happenings was a real black eye moment for the sport, I thought. And so signs hit the drain cover um, eight minutes into FP1 and, you know, the session was cancelled and five-hour wait to fix the track, basically, to go around and inspect all the drains and make sure that they're sealed. Um, And it wasn't until 2.30am local time that the second practice session was run. And that was unfortunate because they had to evict all the fans at 1.30am because of logistic reasons that um, the the organize, event organizers put out in the statement. Basically because 
you know, there was no staff or the staff had all gone home, security had gone home and they could not um, allow fans to kind of be free free range, you know, like free range chickens, um, you know, have fans just freely wander the site without security or uh, staff at the concession stands. So the thing that, you know, really frustrates me overall is that, and yes, Toto Wolf was quite emphatic in his defense and his rant that he had in the press conference, basically telling all Vegas critics to shut up and, you know, this is not a black eye. You don't appreciate all the effort that's gone into this event. But my challenge to that and my question to that, and I'm glad that Daniel Ricciardo also made some comments that were along the same line, is that, okay, why are we accepting that and also very eagerly kind of accepting that, you know, we've had these incidents happen in the past with with Baku, of course, a few years ago. Remember, George Russell brought a, a drain cover-up. It's happened in Monaco. So, you know, when Wolf says, oh, it's happened before, no problem, mate. Uh, if it's happened before, why isn't there specific compliance for this? And I was having this conversation with uh, my partner, about it as well like I'm wondering if what I'm saying makes sense I'm like hun does it make sense to say that you know because these things have happened before isn't there contingencies or more extra compliance that they have to go through and that's what Ricardo said as well in his quotes um in regards to it too so I'll see if I can I can get them up because you know I feel like they probably have been brushed over and no one's seen them but you know, he basically said, do they do their due diligence on the track? Permanent circuits have a certain criteria or whatever and have a lot of boxes to tick. And I feel like street circuits need a few more. It needs, it just needs more care. So that's my question is, was that taken into account? Was there extra compliance that needed to be ticked? You know, I know this sounds boring, but it's an OHS matter, of course. And the fact that it's cost Ferrari how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, or was it in the millions, the repair um, for Sainz's car, um, and also for the Alpine of Ocon as well, um, why isn't there more compliance to ensure that this doesn't happen again? If it's happened twice before or more times before, that should be onus enough to make sure it doesn't happen again, you know? And then the other fallout of it afterwards with the fans being locked out, there was no apology offered in the statement that uh, Stefano Domenicali, the F1 CEO, and Rene Wilm, the LV Beach... LVGP CEO, Las Vegas Grand Prix CEO, put out um, on Saturday, or Friday I should say, because it was Saturday here, there was no apology either in that, except for the fact that Thursday ticket holders would be given a $200 voucher, um, and not the people who bought a weekend pass, for example, and the people who bought a weekend pass, for example, spent, you know, unless they bought them just before the event when they were grossly discounted because they hadn't sold their allocation, they would have spent in excess of $1,500, you know, and that's in US dollars. Now, for most F1 fans, I feel like they'd be on a modest income, you know, um, a, a mid-income earner, much like myself, you know, and I can't justify spending $1,500 just for myself, you know, let alone two of us, 
for a weekend just for the tickets to go to Las Vegas. It just, it, it, no, sorry. I love racing. I love F1, you know, and I could probably, you know, get in with a media pass if I tried. But, you know, as a fan as well, you know, not just a, a, a critic in the media, but just as a fan as well, that is horrible. And the fact that nothing was given in compensation for losing a session or not being able to watch a session that actually did go ahead, mind you. They did do practice from, from 2.30 a.m., to, and they had an extra half an hour attached to it to make up for the time lost in FP1, um, to, to 4 a.m. in the morning, which is the longest or the uh, um, the latest ever session in F1 history. That's just not on. I'm sorry. But, you know, like, there seems to be a bit of arrogance about this from, you know, F1 and from uh, the Vegas organisers that... You know, it can be brushed under the carpet, it can be okay. And that's where, you know, I feel like it's a real black eye, you know, for the sport off the track, given that on the track we had such a great race that we can't rave about the event as a whole because of all this that had happened. Like, imagine if the race wasn't great and it was it was boring, it was like Miami, basically. Um, you know, th- they would be lambasted, you know, they would be paraded in the streets, you know, uh, Game of Thrones style, whatever, you know, whatever that reference is from, they would be paraded through the streets and made to to experience all the shame in the world because, you know, they spent upwards of $500 million on this event and that's out of F1's own pocket because they're, they're promoting the race themselves unlike other races around the world which, you know, they have to do deals with promoters and they basically pay for pay for it out of there like we do here in Melbourne with the um, state government pretty much footing the bill but would they never tell us how much the bill is um, it would have been so much worse if the race was not as good as it was but even though the race was good I think they need to really take a look at what had happened beforehand you know with the drain cover and also with the ticket prices and whatnot. And really make some meaningful changes for next year. Because this is an event that's, of course, the going to be around for the next decade, you'd hope. And I'm, like, as much as I hate capitalism and, you know, I want to be one of those people who um, want to be against it and whatnot, it unfortunately is the way the, the sport works. The sport is a business. And for it, commercially this event means a lot you know it makes more and i think it was the race um in one of their youtube videos made the analogy that for for events like spa that you know everyone loves universally universally and and drivers think it's the best circuit in the world for events like spa to work that traditionally can't pay as much in in fees as as some other circuits might, you know, your your Saudis and your your Middle Eastern tracks, for them to be able to stay on the calendar and get away with paying very little in fees, um, you need events like Vegas who are going to pay an abundance of cash, you know, so that we can have that balance. And when you put it that way, I understand it, and I hope that more people can understand it as well. That unfortunately, it's just it's just business. But even still, there's a 
there's a right way to go about doing it. There's an ethical way, which, you know, unfortunately, all the stuff that happened in the build-up to this event was not that. And the fact that, you know, signs you know, tried to, or Ferrari tried to overturn or appeal the the grid penalty as well, but there was not even a thing in the regulations that could allow force majeure to to overturn it, and the teams were against it too, um, but, you know, then again, if it happened to them, they would, they would not be against it kind of thing. There's just this whole selfish thing about f1 which i really hate sometimes and you know talking about the five second penalty as well five seconds is weak so you know the the event overall great on track it delivered on track but offered it kind of left a bit of a black eye and i think walking away from this year there needs to be a bit of homework done and a bit of a bit of a review done i think for the fia on the rules side of the sport um to look at these penalties and five second penalties in particular the way penalties have been enforced this year and come back next year a bit stronger too because you know i hate bringing up abu dhabi 21 you know and i'm sure if anyone does you know reopening that old chestnut but i thought the purpose of what had happened afterwards with the removal of michael massey and the review that the new FIA president Ben Sulayem had done was to avoid the inconsistencies and the grey areas of stewarding and 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 rule making and enforcing of the rules. And yet here we are still debating about it. So that's that. I think that I can I can close down the rant. I could I can get off the accelerator and you know leave it to everyone else. You know share your thoughts on it, what what you think and whatnot. Write to me if you want. If you can be bothered, I don't mind. Um, yeah, because it's just going to continue eating away at the sport and you know leave it with leaving it with black eyes, um, black eye moments. And there's no amount of eyeliner or shadow that's going to. Um, kind of cover that up love it um let's talk supercars now then just briefly we've got the adelaide 500 on this weekend and i think i did bring up adelaide last time on the show when i was doing the uh gold coast review i feel like it was see i don't even remember what i talked about on my last shows i'm hopeless aren't i they don't pay me enough what do you expect (laughs) i know that's that sounds funny um but yeah, very much so, I know I did mention last time, very much so there is a vibe of the 80s, late 80s, early 90s F1 title deciders that happen in Adelaide. You look at 80, 86 with um, with Mansell and Prost, of course, Mansell having the tyre blowout, 94 with Hill and Schumacher, of course, with um, Schumacher going on to win that one, but we've got... Brody Kostecki, Shane Van Gisbergen, 131 points the difference. Beak, Brody basically needs to outscore Shane by 20 points on Saturday in the first 250k race to be declared champion. Um, and overall, if he just scores a pair of P8s across the weekend and Van Gisbergen wins both races, Brody will be champion. So the... Odds are very much in the Coca-Cola Camaro drivers' favour at the moment, but 
it's Adelaide, anything can happen. It's a street circuit. We've seen all sorts of chaos. And you look back to, I think, 2017, um, the title decider between Win Cup and Scott McLaughlin, you know, it was very much uh, McLaughlin's weekend to lose or title to lose, and he lost it. He lost it with a contact with Craig Lowndes, and Win Cup came through, one is seventh, the rest is history. So, you know, with, with Kostecki chasing his first, and also Erebus as a team as well, going for their first title, it's their 10th anniversary, of course, because they started back in 2013, born out of Stone Brothers Racing, Betty Clemenko, all the hard work that she has put in, all the others in the team, you know, your Barry Ryans and whatnot, they've basically turned this operation which, you know, came and and had its faults and struggles and whatnot into a title contending powerhouse this season. And, you know, that's the off the back of the Gen 3 regulations, which... I'm not even going to go there with the the parody rhetoric to take the shine off what has been a great season for these two, and they've put in a great battle for us, but I am still going to be disappointed that, you know, more couldn't be involved, and that's not the fault of Triple Eight or of of Erebus, so not going to go there now, Um, but we have to acknowledge it still. So the fact that there's 170 points between the both the teams as well in the team's championship, it's going to be a live wire of event. And, you know, the, the their teammates, of course, to Brock Feeney, who, you know, like, I'm still crying for him after Bathurst, essentially. But his title hopes going up with the outcome of the Bathurst 1000, uh, Will Brown as well, who's leaving Erebus at the end of the year and going over to Triple Eight to take over from Van Gisbergen when Gizzy goes off to NASCAR. Brown, like, you know, he his title aspirations kind of fell apart after the bend and then, you know, a very average endurance campaign as well. Um, you know, it's going to be on them to to help seal the the team's championship for their respective uh, teams. And we know Feeney does really well here. He won his first supercars race in the final uh, race for Holden last year at Adelaide. So, you know, that was their special moment. Still can't get over it. And also the sunburns that I copped. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great one. And I can't wait. Like, regardless of who wins, I think it's been a very very um good season for both them a really good championship battle because of course the last couple of seasons van gisbergen kind of had no real consistent challenge and i feel like this year he's uh been the underdog really you know he had the dsq the disqualification in um uh, Newcastle, and then coming out of a retirement in uh, Simmons Plains, I believe, Tasmania as well, you know, that's 300, or, you know, a few hundred points that he's lost um, through no fault of his own, really, and, you know, Kostecki's just been consistent all year, I don't think, I think his worst weekend was Darwin or something, I believe, so, you know, he's been on the podium, otherwise every single weekend and that's just a testament to his consistency and also how good the car's been as well so you know let's have at it let's have a great way to end the season as well 
hopefully get over this uh parody stuff for next year as well because it's done my head in this year um and yeah you know it'll it'll just be a good way to end the year i think and you know some other news as well for adelaide we've got um it hasn't been revealed yet but it's been teased that uh, tickford will do a ken block tribute livery for for cam waters on the monster energy mustang and you know there's Rumours, of course, or there has been rumours around for a while that uh, Monster Energy might be leaving the that team and that car. And, of course, Waters, since he came into Supercars in 2016, has had Monster Energy support throughout. So that would be quite sad if um, it did. But, yeah, Monster Energy, like a big, big backer of Ken Block. And, you know, rest in peace um, to Ken Block. You know, I was so sad when that news came out that he had um, unfortunately passed with, after a um, tragic accident earlier in the year. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, yeah, you know, life taken too soon and so warming to hear about the success of his daughter as well at the moment, Leah Block, who's been um, accepted into the Williams F1 Academy too, going back to F1 news. So, you know, like great racing pedigree that is and you know great to see her doing well but yeah block did a um demo run at the adelaide 500 back in 2013 so you know this livery that they've teased for tickford and also you know because he was a long time ford customer as well was was block um is a tribute to that demo run that he did back in 2013 so i can't wait to see it and yeah it'll be quite emotional looking at it of course too because yeah you know who doesn't love the work of ken block and of course jack smith i don't often talk about jack smith on this podcast unless there's something wrong that's happened but um he's decided to step back from from racing in supercars in 2024 so important to acknowledge that you know um it's it's a decision that I guess you know he's probably not made lightly, um, and also the Smith family who um, have invested in his racing career and also um, have that racing entitlements contract or the the team's racing charter as they are called uh, these days with Brad Jones Racing. Um, the hot tip is that Zach Best will finally graduate into a full time seat next year, and of course he's. Um, the favourite going into Adelaide for the Super 2 finale as well. So it would be nice for him to win the Super 2 title and make his main game debut, of course. He had that pole position in Adelaide last year. But, yeah, you know, uh, Smith will be uh, departing at the end of the year. So I don't know how everyone feels on that. Um, Hopefully he doesn't go too far. He might still stick around for an endurance drive, I bet, with that um, SCT logistics car so oh before my voice goes i think it's time to call this one um so thank you very much for tuning in this week be sure to check out the link tree in the description to all my other um socials and and articles and grid talk as well um get on board with them give them a like and subscribe on on the podcast platforms um but other than that have a good rest of your week and i will be back next week to sum up the abu dhabi grand prix and also the adelaide 500 bye for now